it is a good morning. It's good that we're all here together. And once more, I want to welcome you here and tell you how much we appreciate you being here this morning so we can worship God together and we can also spend some time in his word, learn more about what he would have us be um, in his kingdom. And I look forward to doing that with you this morning. So let's pray together as we get started. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the glory of your creation. Father, we thank you for these beautiful fall days that we're able to enjoy. And Father, we see you at work um, in everything that is around us. Father, we thank you for working actively in our world. Father, our desire is to, to follow you as you would have us follow you. Our desire is to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you will help to transform us into his image. And I pray, Father, that our time together today will help take us another step towards being more and more like Christ, our Savior, our Master. Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are halfway through um, a series, a four-part series from the book of Habakkuk. And it's been a couple of weeks since we um, have talked about Habakkuk. And I want all of you to know that I've heard your voices um, I've heard you all crying out, how long, O Walter, how long until we get back to Habakkuk? And the answer is not long, it's today, finally. You know, the, the long wait is over, we are back to Habakkuk. Um, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked about Habakkuk, let's review a little bit about what we've talked about in the first two parts of uh, this series, and we still have two parts to go Uh, This week and next week, we'll be talking about Habakkuk. So if you'll remember, Habakkuk was a prophet that served in Judah. He served in the southern kingdom. Um, This is a a time when the kingdom has been divided. Uh, The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. But the northern kingdom has been defeated, has been destroyed. The people have been um, sent out. They have gone to different countries, they've gone to foreign places, and Israel no longer exists. So Judah is extremely isolated, and Judah is extremely vulnerable, and they're under pressure from an increasingly hostile world. So first it was the Assyrians who dominated Judah. And then as the Assyrians declined, it was Egypt that stepped into the void and began to dominate Judah. And then there's a... a kind of an angry, hungry tiger that's waiting on the doorstep. As you might expect, these foreign countries have exacted a really heavy financial toll on Judah. But that's not the primary concern that Habakkuk has, because they've also severely damaged Judah culturally. They've damaged Judah religiously, because Judah has progressively adopted the foreign practices Judah has progressively adopted the foreign traditions, the foreign ceremonies. And most alarmingly, Judah has chased after the pagan gods of the surrounding nations. And that's where we joined Habakkuk in week one of our series. Habakkuk ministering to a nation that's under tremendous external pressure. External pressure from surrounding countries. But we found that Habakkuk was really more concerned about internal pressures, internal problems, not so much the external problems. Because when Habakkuk looked around him in Judah, he saw all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems. He saw injustice. He saw moral decay. He saw strife. He saw conflict. He saw violence. 
And Habakkuk repeatedly, continually cried out to his God. And he said, God, things aren't the way that you would have them to be. God, I look at you and I look at your people and I see that they're not following you the way that you would have them follow you. So we heard Habakkuk as he cried out, How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? And we also saw that God heard Habakkuk's question and God answered Habakkuk's question. And that was our focus in week one, the fact that God does welcome and God does answer the questions of his faithful servants. We explored the idea that asking God questions about the state of our world is not a demonstration of weak faith. It's not a demonstration of no faith. No, contrary to that, it's a demonstration of strong faith. Because when we, when we ask God questions, when we call out to him about the state of the world, it demonstrates that we believe he is the one who has the answers. We have faith that God has the answers to our questions. So Habakkuk asked, how long? And God answered, not long. Because he was already working. He had already set the plan in motion to deal with Judah's sin. God told Habakkuk, just watch. Just watch Habakkuk and be amazed at what I'm about to do. Because I'm going to do something in Judah that you simply won't believe. But in week two, we saw that God's plan for Judah was so far removed from what what Habakkuk had imagined, so far removed from what Habakkuk believed God would do, that it threw him into a state of confusion. See, God revealed that he was going to raise up and was in the process of raising up the ruthless Babylonians, a people who were so violent and so godly that their reputation preceded them for many years. He was raising up the godless Babylonians to deal with Judah's sin. In fact, the Babylonians were right on Judah's doorstep, and they were prepared to inflict terrible, horrible Punishment on Judah because of their wicked ways. So we saw that Habakkuk's question shifted from, How long, O Lord, how long? to the question of, Why them, O Lord, why them? Why the Babylonians? How can you use the Babylonians to accomplish your purposes? Judah is wicked, but Babylonia is even worse. Judah has followed after pagan gods, but the Babylonians are the pagans. Judah's issues with injustice, moral decay, and violence pale in comparison to what the Babylonians are about to usher in. And so in week two, we focused on the fact that human logic is the enemy of complete faith and trust in God. Human logic is the enemy of complete faith and trust in God because God's work Because God's wisdom, because God's plans aren't confined to human logic. They aren't confined to human wisdom. They're not confined to human understanding. So Habakkuk helped remind us that God is continually at work in ways we see and in ways we don't see. That God is continually at work in ways we understand and he's at work in ways we don't understand. God is at work through people we would expect, and God is at work through people that we would never expect. 
And God works through events in ways that we would expect. But He also works through events that we would never expect. Habakkuk helped us see that we must accept that God's plans and God's purposes are simply beyond our human understanding. So today, as we encounter Habakkuk again, we're going to experience a very significant, almost abrupt shift in tone. For as we look at Habakkuk today, gone are the questions. Gone is the confusion. The questions have been asked and the questions have been answered. The confusion has been cleared up. The confusion has been cleared up by God's reassurance that the Babylonian conquest of Judah will not be the end of the story. God reassures Habakkuk that the Babylonian evil will be dealt with. They too will be punished for their evil ways. But more importantly, God reassured Habakkuk that this is not the end of the story of his people. They will survive. They will emerge from the coming Babylonian cataclysm. And he will still be God, and he will still have his people. So where does that leave Habakkuk? What replaced the questions? What replaced the confusion? Reading again from chapter 3 of Habakkuk, I'll begin in verse 2. Listen to these words again. Habakkuk prays to God. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk does a fascinating thing. In the midst of the coming cat- uh, catastrophe, in the midst of his deep sorrow of what is about to happen to his country, Judah, Habakkuk chooses to look back. Habakkuk chooses to remember. How would you react if you were given the news that certain calamity was on the horizon for your people? I know where my focus would be. My focus would be on the future. My focus would be on what was about to happen. My focus would consume me as I worried about the coming calamity. It would occupy all of my thoughts. It would occupy all of my time. But not Habakkuk. He instead chooses to remember. He instead chooses to rehearse. He instead chooses to affirm. He instead chooses to talk about who God is by retelling what God has done. It's in chapter 3 that we're able to understand the source of Habakkuk's deep, strong, and enduring faith. Because Habakkuk's faith is rooted in who God is. And his understanding of who God is comes from what God has done in the past. Habakkuk has absolute faith that God will do what he says he is going to do because Habakkuk knows that God has always done what he said he was going to do. Habakkuk has absolute faith that God can do what he says he is going to do because he has repeatedly demonstrated that he has the power to accomplish his will in each and every situation. 
And that's what I want all of us to learn from Habakkuk this morning. I want us all to understand this key point. That looking back at God's mighty works gives us faith that he is still working. And he's still working in powerful ways. See, in chapter 3, Habakkuk recalls the powerful actions of God in the past that gave him certainty that God is still working powerfully and will continue to work powerfully. Habakkuk focuses on God's strength. Habakkuk focuses on God's glory. And Habakkuk focuses on God's power. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 16. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. It's the mighty actions of God's past that's the source of Habakkuk's faith in God. And it's reviewing and reciting those past actions that strengthens Habakkuk's faith. It strengthens his faith that God is still working powerfully and will continue to work powerfully. So what does that have to do with us? What relevance can the actions taken by an obscure prophet thousands of years ago in Judah possibly have for us? What can we learn when we see that Habakkuk chose to look back instead of obsessing about the coming tribulations? Well, the first thing I think we all need to learn is that looking back does help us understand and it does help us embrace the fact that the God of the Old Testament is still active today. You know, there's a growing and I think alarming trend among Christians to treat large portions of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, as if it's irrelevant, as if it's unimportant. The attitude seems to be this. If it happened before Jesus, then it really doesn't matter. You know, the Old Testament is sometimes treated as a source of some quaint stories 
or maybe as material for children's Bible classes, but not as anything that would have relevance or applicability to our lives today. In fact, I bet there are some people who would argue that studying Habakkuk or Nehemiah, for instance, is a complete waste of time. I'm sure they're not here, but there's some people somewhere who might argue that. Well, I would argue something very different. For I believe that the Bible, all of the Bible, has been preserved for us because it, because all of it contains God's self-revelation to his people. God reveals himself in the Bible. He reveals his nature. He reveals his power. He reveals his glory. He reveals his concerns. He reveals his desires. He reveals his will for mankind. We know God because he reveals himself to us. And he reveals himself to us in the Bible. All of the Bible. And Habakkuk demonstrates for us, and we need to understand, that faith comes from knowing God. And knowing God comes from the word. From his word. From all of his word. See, the Old Testament isn't just a collection of musty old stories about who God used to be. Or of are stories about how God used to act. See, our God is the God of the Old Testament. The same God. And as we rehearse, and as we remember, as we stand in awe of his deeds, our faith, our faith that the God of the Old Testament is still active today will be strengthened. It will be enriched. So I want to spend just a couple of minutes rehearsing, remembering the God that we learn about in the Old Testament. And I want to affirm that the God of creation is still active today. The God of Noah and the flood is still active today. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still active today. The God of Joseph is still active. Active today. The God of Moses, of the plagues, of the parted Red Sea, of the manna, of the quail, is still active today. The God of Joshua and the conquering of Canaan is still active today. The God of David is still active today. The God of Solomon and the building of the temple is still active today. The God of Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets, is still active today. The God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is still active today. The God of Queen Esther is still active today. The God of Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilt Jerusalem is still active today. Habakkuk understood then, and faithful servants will understand now, that the God of the Old Testament is still active today. And that is why we must continue to return to those old stories as a reminder of God's mighty, active power. But I also want to affirm that it's important to look back at what happened in Israel only 2,000 years ago. Because the God of the New Testament is still active today. We need to constantly remember the birth, the life, the resurrection, 
of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who is God in the flesh. For God chose to reveal himself through Jesus. It's by knowing Jesus that we come to a complete knowledge of God. And as we rehearse and as we remember, as we stand in awe of his deeds, our faith that the God of the New Testament is still active today will be strengthened and it will be enriched. The God who brought forth his son from a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem is still active today. The God who turned water to wine is still active today. The God who healed lepers, who healed the blind, who healed the lame, who healed the demon-possessed is still active today. The God who willingly went to the cross to save sinful mankind is still active today. The God who came back to life after three days in the grave is still active today. The God who ascended to heaven is still alive and active today. The God who poured out his spirit at Pentecost is still active today. And the God who established his enduring church against all odds, that God is still active today. As faithful servants, we will look back at God's mighty actions that are recorded in the New Testament. We'll do that frequently. We'll do it repeatedly. We'll do it continuously. And we'll know that our God is still active today. See, looking back isn't a nostalgia trip. It isn't an exercise in longing for the good old days when God used to work actively in people's lives. Now, looking back at God's work in the past is a reminder of what is. It's not just a reminder of what used to be. The God who was is the God who is. The God who worked is the God who is working. Just like Habakkuk, we have faith that God will do what he says he is going to do because we know that God has always done what he said he was going to do. And like Habakkuk, we have faith that God can do what he says he's going to do because he has repeatedly demonstrated that he has the power to accomplish his will in every situation. Well, what do we do with these lessons now? How can we take these lessons and actually apply them? How can we put them to work in our lives? Well, let me suggest four different things that we can all do. The first one, not surprisingly, is this. We can all actually look back at what God has done. God has graciously revealed himself to us in his word. Our God wants to be known. But to know God, we have to spend time with God. And fortunately, he's given us his word so we can spend time with him. So I want to encourage you all to read, to study, to immerse yourself in God's word. We produce in the bulletin every week daily prayer and Bible reading topics. Every day, pick those up and read in God's word. There are numerous yearly Bible reading plans that are available. We have one that's on our website. We'll be putting out a new one with the start of the new year. Take it upon yourself to every day spend time in God's Word, reading through it. 
Yearly Bible reading plans can be a problem, though. How many people in here have tried on numerous times to read through the Bible in one year and just haven't been able to get it done? It's difficult. Where does it break down for most of us? Genesis usually goes pretty well. Exodus, not too bad. It's along like Leviticus and Numbers in there that we usually kind of get bogged down, right? Um, And most plans, that's probably what? March, somewhere along in there. It's difficult because a lot of the Old Testament is is difficult and it's dense and it's hard to understand. I want to suggest something for you that I just did recently. There's a uh, a new material out that's called The Story. Um, it's called The Story. The Bible is one continuing story of God and his people. It's about 400 pages long, and it reads like a novel. It's not a Bible, and it shouldn't be a substitute for a Bible, but the words from it are all from the Bible. It's sequential, and it's chronological, and it's a beautiful job, I think, of taking you all the way from creation through the establishment of the church as one continuous story. It reads almost like a a novel. It was a wonderful thing for me to read. I would suggest that you try it as well. Again, the story, the Bible is one continuing story of God and his people. You can find it at the Bible bookstore, I'm sure. You should also spend time in Bible classes. You should be in small groups. You should avail yourselves of the devotional materials that are available. We live in a time where there's more opportunities to access God's word than any time in the history of mankind. There are so many materials. There are so available. It can come to your phone. It can come to your computer. It can come to your tablet. Um, It's easy to avail yourself of God's word. Do so. On the front of the bulletin, I talked about the importance of teaching, of what value there is in opening up God's word with people who have not ever experienced before whether they're little bitty guys or whether they're adults, and how that can make us look with brand new eyes at God's Word. We see it with new excitement, new understanding. We'll see parts of it that we don't even remember were in there. So teach, share God's Word. You'll bless other people, but you will also be blessed. So first thing that I want to encourage us all to do is spend time in God's Word every single day. The second thing I think that we can all do is that we can actually look out. We can look around us. We can see what God is doing in our world today. Look around you. God is working in your life. God is working in my life. He's working all around us. But we have to actually look to see It's amazing what we can see if we'll only open our eyes to the mighty works of God that surround us every day. The God who did amazing things in the past is doing amazing things today. Look for them. Write them down. Share them with others. I'm going to suggest a conversation starter among your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no more powerful way to start a conversation than this. Walk up to someone and say, I see God working in you, and then explain to them how you see God working in their life. I guarantee your, your faith will be strengthened, and you'll help strengthen the faith of others by drawing attention to the way that God is still actively working in the lives of people today. The third thing that we can all do is to look up. 
is to look up at God in praise and continually look up at God in praise. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of our lives. And as we get caught up in that busyness, we oftentimes forget to praise the one who gave us life. We serve a mighty God. We serve an active God. We serve an eternal God. We serve a merciful God. And we serve a God whose greatest act was performed out of love for us. The story of Jesus is a story of God's love for mankind. And when we think on that, when we reflect on that, we shouldn't be able to stop singing his praises. We shouldn't be able to stop shouting his name. The Lord reigns. Jesus lives. Praise must surely follow. Finally, the last thing I'm going to suggest that we can all do right now is together we can all look forward to what God is going to do. Isn't it comforting to know that God is going to continue to work in your life? Isn't it reassuring to know that He's going to continue to work in this world? Doesn't it provide sustenance for your soul to know that God is ultimately going to gather His children home to be with Him forever? God has done great things. God is doing great things. And God is going to continue to do great things. So I want to encourage each of you to look back. Immerse yourself in God's story. And I want to encourage you to look out. Because God's story is still being written. He's still working powerfully today. And then I want you to look up and offer praise and adoration to the God who was and is and always will be. And then let's all look forward to the powerful way that God is going to work in the life of this church. And let's all anticipate the day that he will call us home. Call us home to be with him. You may be here today and you may not feel like you know that God. You may not feel like you know the God of the Old Testament. You may not feel like you know the God of the New Testament. You may not feel like you know the God who's working today. If you feel that way, wouldn't you let us know? Because we'd really like to introduce you to our God. We would really like to introduce you to your God. We would really like to introduce you to the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God who is working today. If that's a desire that you have, there's a couple of things that you might do. We're going to stand up in just a moment. Zane's going to lead us in a song. You could walk up to the front and talk to one of us and say, I'd really like to know more about this God. And we'll share that with you. Or you can walk to the back. There'll be a couple of people, a couple of men in room 104. They're the kind of men who would like nothing better than to have you come in and say, tell me about your God. And they'll start to do that. So once you do one of those two things as we stand and as we sing.